Let's pray. God, we are truly in awe of you. Holy, holy, holy. Let that not just be the cry of the angels that are with you, but let it be the cry of our hearts, realizing truly that is who you are, a holy, righteous, perfect God who deserves all of our love, all of our praise, all of our glory to you. And I pray that your name would be lifted high. And thank you for the display, the ultimate display of your love by sending your son. And I pray that we would have a greater vision into who the Son of God is today as we look at familiar passages in the book of Mark. But God, thank you for who you are, and thank you for allowing us the privilege of becoming your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Before I start, let me just say uh, what an absolute honor it is for Tammy and I to be part of this church. We love you guys. Thank you for the card. Uh, It means a lot, your support, your encouragement. And we truly know that we are blessed beyond measure to be able to be part of this congregation. So thank you so much for that. Ten, nine, eight, seven. I don't know about you guys, but I remember when I was a kid watching with so much excitement and anticipation as they had the countdowns for the for the rockets that were just going to blast off and make soar their way up into outer space. It was always so cool, so wonderful. Now, countdowns can be exciting. I, I've even heard. I can't personally testify to this, but I've heard that some people even do a countdown to midnight on December 31st. (laughs) Personally, (laughs) I find sleeping a much more attractive endeavor than welcoming in a new year in the middle of the night, because it will be there in the morning when you arise. But but that's just me. So again, um, if if you guys want to stay up late and count down, but countdowns can be... Exciting and fun because they always point to something that's about to happen, something significant, something that's really good. For approximately 30, the first 30 years of his life, Jesus lived in relative obscurity. In fact, only Luke, other than his birth accounts, only Luke gives us any information regarding the childhood of Jesus Christ. And even those are just a couple of really brief snapshots. That's all. Today, though, we get to see Jesus begin to step into the spotlight of human history for three very significant, life-changing, universe-altering, I should say, years of his life as he begins his public ministry. Now, last week, as we, we began two weeks ago our journey into the, the book of Mark. Last week, we looked at John the Baptist. We saw how he was the one that was sent, who had been prophesied. He came to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, this week, we get to see how Jesus himself prepared for his public ministry. The countdown is on. Now, he did that in two ways. First of all, I want you to see Jesus' public baptism. I hope, you're with me. I hope you are with me in Mark chapter 1. I want to just read verse 9 and have you follow along in that. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. Matthew tells us in his account of this, 
that John, when he was approached by Jesus to be baptized, John initially objected, objected to that because he said, hey, I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized by me. John understood his place. We talked about that last week with his humility. But he consented to do so, and so he baptized Jesus. Now, as we talked about last week, just a reminder that baptism was an outward sign of an inward change. And it testified, as the people came to be baptized, it testified to their confession of sin and their repentance of it. Now, think about this with me. If that's what baptism is about, (laughs) Jesus did not need to have anything confessed. He did not have anything in his life he needed to repent in. He had lived a perfectly sinless life. But yet he allowed himself to be baptized. I think that's really interesting. And we just don't have the time to go through it well, but I'm going to just give you two quick reasons why I think he did that. A, so so that he could identify himself with us. We were... We're fallen people. We are sinful people. He identified himself with us. The second reason, I think, is to set the example for us to follow that, to be baptized as an outward display of an inward change. Now, let's, let's keep reading. Verse, verses 10 and 11, follow along. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Wow. This is amazing. We're so familiar with it that I think sometimes the the impact of this maybe gets a little bit lost on us. Now, I tell you, Mark might be brief. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He's brief in his account. He's short, by far and away the shortest of the Gospels. He's succinct in his writing style, but I am telling you, he packs so much into every sentence, every verse, just a few words, but there's a lot of things here, really significant. I want you to notice, first of all, it says, and when he came up out of the water, immediately... That is a significant word. In fact, it's one of Mark's favorite words. It's the Greek adverb euthus, and it conveys a sense of speed and urgency, which fits perfectly, I think, with with Mark's fast-paced narrative style that he writes this gospel for us. In fact, I found this so interesting. Mark uses that word, euthus, he uses it 42 times in his gospel. In the entirety of the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament is used 12 times. 42 by Mark, 12 times by everyone else. So we can see it really is one of his favorite words. I don't want to be overly critical here. Uh, I understand translations, every translation, there's, they have strong points and they have some weaknesses. So I'm not being real critical here, but I think that the NIV translates it just as Jesus was coming up. And the New Living Translation, it says, as Jesus came up, I kind of think that in this instance, both of those kind of miss the mark. Miss the mark? <laughs> was it that bad, really? <laughs> don't answer, don't answer. Don't. But, yeah, that pun was fully intended. But 
I knew it was bad going into it, but I still had to try. I always have a hope. I'm optimistic in regards to that. But the only reason I say this, by not actually translating the word for what it is immediately, I think that they kind of fail to convey really the full impact of the immediacy of what follows. Immediately. He saw, and it says there, he saw the heavens being torn open. Say, what? This is so cool. Matthew and Luke, in their accounts of Jesus' baptism, simply say the heavens were opened. But Mark uses a surprising verb, torn open. It's Okay, I'm not trying to give you too much Greek here or anything, but it's from the Greek word schizo, which sounds familiar, schizophrenia, right? We understand that. But the Greek word schizo, it literally means to tear apart. It means to split open. It calls to mind, in fact, I think, Isaiah's great prayer in Isaiah 64. You don't need to turn there. I put it on your bulletins, and I'll put it on the screen here for you. Isaiah 64, verses 1 and 2. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and, and the fire causes water to boil. To make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. In fact, Mark only uses that word schizo, and he's the only one that, by the way, the only gospel writer that talks about it here, but he only uses that word schizo or or torn, he only uses it one other time. In fact, let's just turn there, go all the way to the end of Mark, Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, I want you to go down to verse 37. Mark 15, 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn, there's our word, schizo, was torn in two from top to bottom. It is an incredibly descriptive and dramatic word. And I think it's just fascinating that Mark includes it here in his gospel. There is nothing passive or gentle about this word. This idea of just being torn apart, the heavens being torn open. I love what one older commentary has in regards to this, writes to this, the author says, just as the veil of the temple was rent in twain to symbolize the perfect access of all men to God, so here the heavens are rent asunder to show how near God is to Jesus and Jesus is to God. It's tearing open. It's not in a negative way at all. Now, both of the occurrences of, in Mark here, they are both supernatural occurrences, right? They declare and they reveal that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. Just as Mark stated, in fact, if you remember two weeks ago when we started this, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, let me just read that again because I think it's such a pivotal key verse starting out the entire gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is just incredible here. I think it's so amazing. 
Here he is, the baptism. He comes up out of the water, and the heavens are torn open, rent apart, ripped apart. So here we have this. And I tell you, it's amazing. This is just incredible. But to quote someone, and I have no idea who, so I'd give him credit if I knew. But to quote someone, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because now what we see here, we see the Holy Trinity on full display. The sun coming up out of the water. The Spirit descending upon him in the physical form of a dove as the heavens are torn open. And then we hear the voice of the Father. Three in one. Three gods. I mean, three persons in one God. The Holy Divine Trinity. And the Father speaking those words. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. What a glorious experience that must have been, not only for Jesus. It doesn't really say here, but I think that everyone who was there heard and saw this. Think about that for John, as he had just baptized the Messiah. Think about all who were present to hear and then to see the confirmation that Jesus truly was the Son of God. He was pleasing to the Father in every way. He was approved and empowered by the Spirit. Think of this, all of this happening, the Trinity there is in full display. Surely this was the perfect time now for Jesus to begin his public ministry, right? Well, almost, almost. The countdown wasn't quite done yet. Had a little bit more to go because there's still one more thing that was needed and that's Jesus' private battle. I want you to go to verses 12 and 13. Follow along as I read those. The Spirit immediately, and we see that word again, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Rather than basking in the glory of that moment, After his baptism, Jesus, it says, was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. That word drove here, that is a very strong word. It means literally means to force, to, to expel, to push. Jesus had to go, and so the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness to be tempted and tested. Matthew and Luke, they both tell us of this temptation. They, they tell us a lot more details about it. And they mentioned that there are three main, bapt- or baptisms, three main temptations, each of which Jesus, as you know, he countered them with the word of God. They also tell us that those three temptations came at the end of the 40 days, during all of which time Jesus had fasted. Now, Let me just say this. I'm not sure that we should so readily limit the temptations to only those three. I want you to look again at verse 13. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Being tempted, again, I don't want to give too much Greek here, but it's just useful here. Being tempted is a Greek present tense participle. You don't need to remember that, not at all. But I do think it's important to know what it means. 
it conveys the idea of continuous action. So in other words, during the entire 40 days, Jesus was being tempted over and over and over again by Satan. But the important takeaway from all of this for us is that during the entire time, and including the three major temptations that Matthew and Luke share with us, Jesus never sinned. That's the key takeaway here. He never stopped being the perfect, sinless Messiah. And because of that, you and I have a Redeemer. We have a Savior who overcame everything that was thrown his way. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now Mark, again, again, I love this. He's so brief, but yet he puts in things that we don't see anywhere else. Mark also says in those verses that we just read that he was with the wild animals. Matthew and Luke don't include that. You see, the wilderness of Judea, that was a harsh, barren, dry, desolate, and extremely dangerous place. And I think the inclusion here of the wild animals, that gives us greater insight into just how dangerous it was for Jesus to be alone in the wilderness during that time. I think it also does something else for us. It shows in vivid contrast the difference between Jesus and Adam. I want you to think about that with me. Adam, he lived in a lush garden with plenty to eat, surrounded by non-threatening animals, and yet when he was tempted, he yielded. He plunged all of mankind into sin and depravity. Jesus, on the other hand, the second Adam, he was in a harsh, difficult environment. He had no food. He was surrounded by wild animals, faced with the tempter over and over and over again, and he came through it victoriously, thereby making a way of salvation possible for all of us who believe and trust in him by faith. After those difficult 40 days of fasting, And being attacked and tempted by Satan, our Savior, don't think he wasn't human. He was undoubtedly very hungry, extremely hungry. And he was certainly physically weak, 40 days with no food or nourishment. And so it says here that the angels came and ministered to him. I love that. Undoubtedly, a large part of their ministering to him was by providing food and water for him. But I also think that part of it was a reassurance again of his father's love and approval for his son. Just as he had done at the baptism, I think the angels also came to remind him of the father's words. He was the beloved son. The father was well pleased. In Jesus' time of testing, he showed himself to be faithful and sinless, never giving in to temptation. 
He also showed us how to combat Satan and all of the temptations, for that matter, as he used the word of God to thwart the enemy. We're not going to go into that because that's not part of Mark's gospel. But you know what happened. Every time Satan tempted him in those three major temptations, Jesus used the word of God to refute him. And I think Jesus also showed us something else. He showed us that he is a greater, a much greater person than the tempter. We have a strong, powerful enemy, but don't ever think for one moment that Jesus and he are kind of on the same level and Jesus just a little bit stronger. No, not at all. Satan is a created being. Jesus, the eternal son of God. And he showed himself to be so much greater. And I love what the ESV Study Bible says about this. It says, all of heaven knew the significance of Jesus' initial victory in this cosmic battle. They knew what was at stake. (laughs) If Jesus had given in to any one of those temptations, we would have no hope. But he never did. He never yielded. He was always faithful and true. He was always perfect and just. Our Savior was tempted and he was tested in the most severe environment possible and in the most difficult ways imaginable. And here's the thing. He was victorious. He never yielded to the temptations before him. I tell you, this is amazing. These are just a few verses. But I told you, Mark covers a lot in just a few And there's so much more that we could say about this, about his baptism, so much more about his temptation. But because Mark was brief and succinct, so will we be. That's hard for me. You know that, right? But so will we be. But the countdown, now, it was over. It's time for blast off. And that is where we will pick it up next week as Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, begins his public ministry to a lost world that was desperately in need of a Savior. The countdown is exciting, but because the reason it's so exciting is because it shows us that something really good is coming. And that Jesus' public ministry begins there in verse 14. This is where we will pick it up next week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. I don't even pretend to begin to imagine what it was like to be tempted for 40 days like that. But I rejoice in the fact that you are God, that you are perfect, that you are holy, that you are just, that you are righteous. You are certainly beloved by the Father and you are well-pleasing to him. And we adore you because you loved us so much that you came, sacrificed yourself on the cross so that our sins could be paid in full. How can we not love you? Thank you, Jesus, for being the perfect sacrifice. May we love you with all of our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.